Well, good morning, church family. Well, before we uh, share in the word of God this morning, uh, let's uh, commit our time to him in prayer as we prepare our hearts and minds to receive the truth of the word of God. Holy, 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 thou art holy. Uh, Father, we're thankful that time does not change who you are, that you are not less God today than you were uh, 10,000 years ago. Uh, Lord, we thank you that uh, we can worship you this morning, uh, that you've given us minds that can think, that can process. Uh, We are thankful for your Holy Spirit, which indwells every believer that gives us uh, wisdom from above, uh, to be able to see things of a spiritual nature, things that we uh, were blind to, things that, as we just sung, uh, were darkness to us. Uh, And so, Father, as we uh, open up your word this morning, as we uh, delve into and feast upon these uh, few moments of your scripture this morning, uh, may they truly transform not only how we think, uh, but also how we act, Um, because there should be a response, uh, even to the songs that we sung this morning, uh, because you are great not only on Sunday, uh, you're great on Monday, on Tuesday, on Wednesday, on Thursday, on Friday, and on Saturday. You have been great even before time began. Uh, and thankful that we have the eyes to see that. And so, Father, may that actually uh, guide us. May that uh, propel us uh, in a way in which that we are not just glorifying and singing how great you are on Sunday, Uh, But we would sing that every day of the week, that we would show that uh, through our actions uh, and what we do to uh, continue to foster an environment so that we may uh, live as those who have been redeemed, those who have been given a righteousness not our own, uh, to be able to worship the God who is holy, holy, holy. Um, And so, Father, we thank you and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, I'm going to have you open up to Ephesians chapter 3 just to begin our time. Uh, But today we are going to start a journey that is going to take us through the Word of God. Uh, Not in its entirety, obviously, uh, but something that is, uh, we consider what we talked about last time, uh, which is why you're turning to Ephesians chapter 3, that over the next... uh, Uh, month of Sundays, uh, we are going to be looking at the presence of God, Uh, because I I believe as we consider what we have in Jesus Christ, we need to see God as he is. We need to see how God manifested his presence, starting in the book of Genesis, uh, and working our way through as we consider this great God uh, that we just sung about, how great thou art, a God who is holy, holy, holy. Because all of these terms, all of these things that we have sung about this morning and you know, the things that we are going to consider over these next few weeks should change who we are. And it doesn't matter where you are in your spiritual walk, on your spiritual journey, whether you've been a believer for you know, uh, a, a few months, a few years, uh, you know, most of your life. Um, it, you know, time does not change who God is. But it should change who we are over time. Uh, and so as we take a look at our uh, you know, sermons for the next few weeks, they're all entitled The Presence of God. 
This is part one of five. Uh, and we will end uh, in five weeks uh, as we consider being in the presence of the eternal God forever. Uh, but in the meantime, we have a lot of ground to cover. Uh, and Lord willing, you'll have a, an appreciation for the God who is, uh, the God who is the great I am, uh, and that the fact uh, we, he has revealed himself to his creation will help us to step back in all of who he is. Uh, to experience the presence of God, not just on Sunday, but every day of the week. Uh, And so, with that in mind, uh, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 12, is what is defining the next five weeks. In whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. We have access with confidence... We have a boldness because of Jesus Christ, because we are in him. We are in the Son of God, because we put our faith and trust in him and him alone to redeem us out of our deadness spiritually, to be able to experience his presence each and every day, Uh, to not be alienated from him, to not be his enemy, to not have his wrath down upon us because we are sinful See, we have a Savior, Jesus Christ, who has qualified us to be able to come into the presence with boldness, with access that only comes through him, and a confidence that is based in who Jesus is. We have the ability, as believers, to come into the very presence of the God who is holy, holy, holy. The God who is great, as we have sung already this morning. And so we'd like to begin by starting out and defining some attributes that you already know, because there's one of them, the third one we're going to take a look at, because we're going to consider all three of the omnis, uh, which, uh, Lord willing, you know, and if you don't, you will by the time we finish today, um, as we consider um, God himself, uh, because we, we talk about God being omnipresent. Uh, and so, before we get to that, I want to define two of the omnis for you this morning, because all three of these, as I thought about them and as I studied and, and as I considered the omnipresence of God, when you begin to, to understand the omnipresence of God, then you will understand the omnipotence of God, and you will understand the omniscience of God. Um, um, the, the omnipotence, or the fact that God is omnipotent, uh, is meaning that he has complete and total control over everything. Well, how is it that the God who is omnipotent can have control over everything? Well, he would have to be omnipresent. He would have to be everywhere all the time in order for him to have control over everything. But he's also the God who is omniscient, which by definition is having complete knowledge of everything. Well, how can the God who is have knowledge of everything unless he is omnipresent, everywhere present? You know, he is in, uh, has the knowledge of things that we cannot even see with the naked eye. Down to, you know, even things that are right around us now down to the microscopic level that we cannot see with the naked eye. 
And see, the thing is, we have to understand if we're going to, to know the God who is now, uh, you know, or I should say, that for us to have the, the ability to come into the presence of the God who is omnipotent, omniscient, and omnipresent, we need to see him as he is. We can't have a small vision of who God is. We cannot contain God just to Sunday. And I know it's a hard thing to do, and I'm glad each and every one of you are here today. Because by God's grace, you're going to be able to worship together as God's children. But the thing is, you cannot let just Sunday be all that you experience in relation to the presence of God. You can't expect one hour or two hours on a Sunday morning to be what defines you for seven days of the week. See, we have been granted access to the presence of God himself. The God that you just sung with your own voices that is great. How great is our God. You said that he is holy, holy, holy. Thou art holy. Are those just words? Well, hopefully not. They are words. But so you, know, you know, words can have deeper meaning when they become part of who we are and don't just become something that we re, you know, repetitively repeat in rote repetition. They need to be part of who you are. You need to experience the God who is. See, God revealed himself not for the purpose of you just to have a head knowledge of who he is. We've been blessed because in Christ, we have something beautiful. We have the ability to come into the presence of Almighty God. The scriptures are not silent in relation to uh, who God is. The fact that he is fully everywhere present, or his fullness being everywhere present, uh, is spoken of in the, in the book of Jeremiah chapter 23. Jeremiah 23, 23, and 24 says, Am I a God at hand, declares the Lord, and not a, guard, a God afar off? Can a man hide himself in secret places so that I cannot see him, declares the Lord? Do I not fill heaven and earth, declares the Lord? See, God is omnipresent. These are rhetorical questions. Is God a God at hand? Absolutely, because he is in his fullness everywhere present. And look at it this way, too. You know, God's not just stretching himself thin over all of his creation. The fullness of God in every aspect, every attribute, every part of who God is, everything that he has revealed to us in his word is in its fullness everywhere present. Think about that for a moment. Is our God big? Is our God magnificent? That he can be in his fullness everywhere present. And we're going to get to in a few weeks down the road. You know, the fact is the Holy Spirit of God indwells every believer fully. You know, we don't just get part of the Holy Spirit. You know, he doesn't stretch the Holy Spirit so that he can fill everybody in this room and he's at his breaking point in his indwelling presence in believers through the Holy Spirit. 
The fullness of God indwells each and every believer. In 1 Kings 8 and Psalm 139, we are also, uh, we see this same, you know, uh, picture of God, you know, filling heaven and earth and that man cannot hide himself. 1 Kings 8, uh, 27 is where Solomon, in his prayer of dedication of the, the temple, he says, But will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you. How much less this house that I have built. In Psalm 139, David, in verses 7 and following, says, Where shall I go from your spirit, or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. See, David, his son Solomon, understood who God is. That there was nowhere that they could go and hide from the presence of God. You know, and we sing that, you know, though the darkness hide thee. It's not that the darkness in what we consider darkness of night that hides God. Because God is everywhere present. Who he is in his fullness is everywhere present. There's no place that you can hide from God, whether it's day or night. The darkness that hides is the sinful darkness that hides our vision of the God who is fully everywhere present. Matter of fact, it says in Romans that even the creation itself gives testimony to God Almighty. We even sung, tremble all the earth Believe it or not, that verse is going to be our closing verse in Psalm 114. But see, this is the God who is everywhere present. So what do we talk about when Jesus says that we have boldness and access with confidence into the very presence of God if God is omnipresent? How is that different? Well, I'm glad you asked. I'll let you know. <laughs> because... I think we need to go back to the, the beginning. We need to go all the way back to the book of Genesis. So uh, we will not be in Ephesians any longer today. So you can go back to the book of Genesis um, because we need to go back to the very beginning for us to see how God reveals himself, even going back into the garden itself. Because we need to make a distinction between God's omnipresence, the fact that he is fully everywhere present, and his manifest presence. See, God's manifest presence is, when, uh, is the result of his unique interaction with his creation, with those that he has created in his image. And there's no mistaking of the manifest presence of God. This is not just some random, you know, occurrence, you know, that has, you know, uh, the ability to awe people. This is the, the presence and the fullness of Almighty God manifesting himself so that he can interact with his creation. And prior to the fall, Adam and Eve enjoyed being in the presence of God. 
Matter of fact, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 8, if you begin looking there, it says, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Stop right there, because we can't read the rest of the verse yet. Can you imagine being Adam and Eve? You know, what does the sound of the Lord walking in the garden sound like? Is it a mighty rushing wind that moves through so that they know he's coming? Because remember, God's spirit. You know, was it a a, a gentle movement? Whatever it was, Adam and Eve were familiar with it. They knew God was coming to manifest his presence right there in their midst. Even though he was still omnipresent, because he is everywhere in his fullness present, but at this point, God was walking through the garden. The sad thing is, is he's walking through the garden, not to find out what Adam and Eve had done, even though he asked, because remember, he is omniscient. He knows everything, because he is everywhere present. He is not bound by time. When we talk about God being, you know, omnipresent, that means past, present, future. Because God is in eternity. He is above time itself. That's why we can say that God has, you know, lived all of our tomorrows. That's how God knows everything that is, is because he is everywhere present. It doesn't matter if it is past, present, or future in relation to our time. That's what's so amazing about God, the God who is eternal. Verse 3 goes on to say, And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. This has got to be the saddest moment. Because here's Adam and Eve who knew what the presence of the Lord was in the garden. And this time when God was coming to manifest his presence in close proximity to where Adam and Eve were, this was not a joyous occasion. And the question is, is why did Adam and Eve hide themselves if they knew of the presence of God in the garden prior? Well, see, something has changed. Because the God that we sung about who is great, the God who is holy, 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 his holiness, his purity at that moment made Adam and Eve feel filthy and unworthy to be in the manifest presence of God Almighty. So much so that they actually hid themselves. But can man or woman or child, young or old, hide themselves from the presence of God Almighty? Remember, if I ascend to heaven, if I go make my bed in Sheol, if I take the wings of the morning, dwell in the uttermost, or the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me. See, the thing is, Adam and Eve were doing what they knew they needed to do because they were no longer holy like God. They knew that they had done wrong. They knew that they had disobeyed God and done the one thing he told them not to do. And therefore, the very presence of Almighty God in that garden made them feel unworthy, uncomfortable. Let me see how far I can get away from the God who is holy. 
See, sin separated them immediately from the presence of God. And there was consequence, and we're not going to take the time to look at the account of, you know, the consequences of the fall, other than to know that there was a consequence for Adam, there was a consequence for Eve, there was a consequence for Satan himself in tempting, there was a consequence to all of creation as a result of this one act of disobedience, this one transgression before the God who is holy, 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 who in his fullness is everywhere present. And so what was the result? Look down at verses 22 and following in that same chapter 3. It says, And the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat it and live forever. So in other words, living forever in an eternal state of damnation and sinfulness before God. So God, even then, guarding man in his moment of weakness, it says in verse 23, Therefore the Lord God sent him out from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the Garden of Eden he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. This is when everything changed. Because God's perfect creation that was great in his eyes had all of a sudden realized that there is not only just holiness, but there's also unholiness. What we know is sin before God. And so God had to drive him out of that paradise out of that beautiful garden that was perfect in all of its ways and actually had to to set a cherubim in front of and around circumferencing the tree of life so that Adam and Eve would not go and eat of that tree and eternally be damned in their sins forever, which was God's protection for Adam and Eve until which time the manifold presence of God in Jesus Christ, which we'll get to in a few weeks, actually, that's next week, made himself known. So for the next few moments, I guess actually in our last few moments together this morning, I'd like to take a look at the presence of God in the Old Testament. Because you need to see how God interacted with mankind after the fall. Because in the garden, he walked with them. Because Adam and Eve were holy, just like God was holy. But when sin entered the picture, when disobedience and rebellion entered the picture, that could no longer happen. Because God's holiness, his purity would not allow it. The presence of sin in his presence. So let's flip forward. You're in the book of Genesis. Go to Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3. I'd like to read verses 4 and 6, or 4 through 6. Because the first, and this is not going to be exhaustive in any way, we're going to hit a couple of things where we see the presence of God uh, in the Old Testament. And the first one here is in the burning bush. Exodus chapter 3, I'll begin reading in verse 4. It says, When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, this is Moses, had turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here am I. 
Then he said, Do not come near, take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Okay, just stop there for a moment. So here we have an encounter, a manifest encounter, where God is going to reveal himself and have a unique interaction with someone, not just, you know, separated from him being everywhere present in his fullness. This is a manifest presence of God. And what he does is he, you know, utilizes something that at first looked like, wow, what's wrong with that bush? It's on fire, but it's not being consumed. What is this? And so this curiosity of of Moses to come forward and look at this, God uses it as an opportunity to show himself to Moses himself. But you'll notice, he says, Do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. Why is the ground holy? Is it because it's some special dirt? No, it is holy because God is there, manifesting his presence. Just like God was walking in the garden, and the garden itself was holy because the God who is holy, holy, holy indwelt that garden in his fullness everywhere, but also in his manifest presence. Notice what Moses' reaction is to God after God reveals himself, saying he is the God of his father, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It says, and Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Why is this the case? Well, because Moses was a sinner in the presence of holiness. The very presence of holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty was enough for Moses to see his sinfulness, to realize that he is in the presence of God Almighty. And therefore, he hid his face. He bowed his face away from that burning bush which had the manifest presence of God in it. The ground around it was holy because God was there. He was afraid to look at God. See, this is the reaction of what happens when sin indwells someone and when God comes into their presence. Later on in the book of Exodus, you can flip forward to 33 if you'd like to, But Moses, you know, we're progressing forward a little bit farther here. And in chapter 33, um, this is in between uh, Moses coming down off of the mount and and breaking the first set of commandments and him going back up to to, uh, Mount Sinai to get the, the second set. And there's an interaction where Moses is pleading before God. In verses 20 to 23... Uh, He is asking to see the glory of God. And this is the response, the dialogue that goes on between God and Moses. But he said, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you into the cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. 
Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. So here's God giving Moses the opportunity to only see in part the remnants of what is left as God is leaving where Moses is in front of him. See, the thing is, is that the reason why man cannot see God's face and dies because, or yeah, cannot see God's face or he will die is the fact that that holiness eradicates sinfulness. You know, we talk about in the scriptures how God is long-suffering towards us, that he is not willing for any to perish. But you have to understand is that that is God's grace, that is God's mercy, but is God withholding immediate judgment which his holiness demands. That's what happens when sinfulness comes into the presence of holiness. And then a few chapters later, if you take a look at chapter 40 of the book of Exodus, um, we also have an account of God taking and telling Israel how they are to come into his presence, how they are to worship him. And God didn't leave this up to man's interpretation. He didn't leave it up to man to guess well, maybe this will please God. He says, this is how you are to worship me. This is what you are to do. This is how you are to be made right before me in order for you to be in my presence. And this is the account that we have here in in Exodus chapter 40 of God's presence in the tabernacle, which was the the portable place until the temple was built, uh, the, the vehicle through which God would actually manifest his presence to the children of Israel between the time that he gave the commandments up until the time that Solomon built his temple. Okay? And this is what it says in verses 34 and following. It says, Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting. Well, this cloud was the the manifest presence of God. And the glory of the Lord filled the temple. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it. And the glory of the Lord filled the temple. Throughout all their journeys, wherever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they would not set out until the day that it was taken up. Verse 38. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and the fire was in it by night. In the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. So what God did in manifesting himself to the children of Israel, his special people, those who he called out, the ones to whom Moses was told, you know, that he is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This is how God manifested his presence to his people. He manifested it in a cloud, in a pillar of fire to show that he was physically there among his people. And it says there that his glory filled the tabernacle. So much so that Moses could not go in because he could not be in the immediate presence of the the totality of the glory of God. Otherwise, it would consume him. Because even when God passed by, remember, he put him in the cleft of the rock and God put his hand there 
to guard him as he went by in his fullness, until which time it was safe for Moses to see God as he's departing away. See, the thing is, God was very particular, and he did not take lightly when man did not come to him the way that he had ordained. This takes us to the book of Leviticus, chapter 10. Because we have here in, you know, uh, the not-too-distant future where Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, in chapter 10, verses 1 and 2, each took his censer and put fire in it and laid the incense on it. And so you have to understand that Aaron and his sons were set apart to be those that were to, to do exactly what God told them to do in exactly the fashion he told them to do it, even when he told them the time to do it. And this is what happens when you don't do things God's way. Each took his censer and put fire in it and laid incense on it and offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. Okay, so the question is, what's God going to do? And what he does here may seem pretty extreme, but you need to remember who God is. The same God that you said is holy, holy, holy. So can God allow someone to do something that he did not command them to do in relation to coming into his presence, in relation to worshiping him without there being a consequence? Notice what verse 2 says, And fire came out from before and the word here is the presence of the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. So even though they were set out to be able to, to do these things because they did they off, they all they offered unauthorized, I get the words out in the right order, fire before the Lord. No matter what their intentions were, because they didn't do it God's way. It was disobedience. And God wanted to set a precedent for the people to know that he cannot tolerate sin. Going all the way back to the garden, we realize God cannot tolerate sin. His holiness, his purity, even back to the Garden of Eden. See, God's holiness does not change. It's not contained. His holiness reveals sin and rebellion against him in such a powerful way that even Nadab and Abihu found out very quickly what happens when they give worship or unauthorized uh, fire before the Lord. And if you flip forward a few more chapters to chapter 16 in Leviticus, even in relation to Aaron, who is the high priest, notice the, the warning to, to Aaron through Moses it says, the Lord spoke, in verse 1, to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron, when they drew near before the Lord and died. And the Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron, your brother, not to come at any time into the holy place inside the veil, before the mercy seat that is on the ark, so that he may not die. For I will appear in the cloud over the mercy seat." And like I told you, God did not leave it up to man to guess how he should worship him. See, that's what happens when we talk about idolatry. That is man making a God in his own image 
whether it is something carven, whether it is even what they believe to be the higher power, if it is not the God of Scripture, because that is where we find out who God is, is from His Word. We don't go anywhere else. If it's not the God of Scripture, and we don't worship the God of Scripture the way that He commands us to do so, then there are consequences, even for the high priest, even for the one that was given permission to come into the Holy of Holies one time of year on the Day of Atonement to offer a sacrifice for the sins of the people. Even for him, he couldn't just go whenever he wanted to into the holy place, into the Holy of Holies. He did not have permission. He had to do it exactly the way God told him to do it. In preparation, the high priest each day for the, the Day of Atonement had to wash, had to put on special clothing, had to burn incense in order to, to fill the, the Holy of Holies to create a cloud barrier between him and the mercy seat and where the glory of God would rest on that mercy seat and brought a blood sacrifice, uh, the blood to sprinkle on the mercy seats for the atonement of sins. He had to do it exactly the way God commanded him to do it because that is what God said was the way in which man could be made right with God. There was no deviation from it because what happened when there was deviation from it? Well, death. Then we've got the dedication of Solomon's temple, which is our last Old Testament example, which takes us to 1 Kings chapter 8. This is after Solomon had built this you know, beautiful uh, temple. And remember, we read back um, earlier in uh, verse uh, uh, 27 of that same chapter, where it says, But it, uh, will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you. How much less this house that I have built? Well, look at verses 10 and 11 of 1 Kings 8. And when the priest came out of the holy place, a cloud filled the house of the Lord so that the priest could not stand to minister because of the cloud. For the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. See, the reason I'm sharing these things with you, because we need to understand that God is no different in the Old Testament than he is in the New Testament. Some people look at God and think, well, you know, I like the God of the New Testament in Jesus because he was a lot more loving and not as judgmental. And people look at the Old Testament and say, well, you know, the, the, the God the Father was, was very harsh. Well, see, the thing is, is, we need to understand that the Son of God, the Holy Spirit that indwells every believer, and God the Father, the one that we sung that are three in one, has not changed the God that we have read here is the same God today. And he takes his holiness very, very, very seriously. So much so that there are not multiple ways to God. There's one way. He's the one that said that because man has sinned, there can only be one atonement. There can only be one redeemer, one savior, one way. There is only one truth in relation to how man can come into the presence of God Almighty. Man cannot come up with a way. There is no other alternative. There is no other back door. There is no other option when we consider access into the presence of the God who is holy. Adam and Eve had only sinned once. They ate of the one thing that God told them not to. 
And that was enough for the presence of God to cause them to hide themselves, thinking they could get away from God, embarrassed by what they had done because their eyes had been opened to that which was evil and sinful. And when your eyes are full of evil and sinful things, when you come into the presence of holiness, it makes you run and turn the other direction. It causes you to hide your face like Moses did, afraid to look at the face of God. See, there is none of this boldness, this arrogance in coming into the presence of God. Because when we boldly and arrogantly come into the, 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 the throne room of God Almighty, remember Nadab and Abihu. Remember the caution to Aaron, the high priest. There's one way. Because it's in him that we have boldness and access with confidence through him. See, Jesus qualifies us because he took care of our sin problem. He clothed us in righteousness that is godly righteousness, godly holiness. That's how we're able to come into the presence of God. Because, see, there's no other way. Adam and Eve could not come up with any other way. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob couldn't come up with any other way. Moses could not come up with any other way. It has to be done God's way or no way. And when we do it no way, then we we receive the just deserts, the, the, the due penalty for our sin, the wages for our sin, and that is death. Eternal destruction away from the presence of God forever. But when we do it God's way, through Christ, Christ qualifies us to come into the very presence of God so that we don't have to feel as though we have to, you know, not look at God's face because we're worried about what God's going to do because we're sinful and he's holy. We will see him face to face. We'll be able to look into the eyes of our Savior and see that love that we don't quite understand. So how should this inform our lives today? Well, may our response to God today not be like that of Jonah. I guess there's one more Old Testament example that I'm going to share in application, if I can get the PowerPoint. There we go. See, Jonah was one of God's prophets, and after the dedication of Solomon's temple... There's going to be a time period where you know, people are, are coming into the presence of God the right way. There's going to be a time coming where the temple is going to be destroyed. And as, as far as I can tell, there's no record of, you know, when we talk about Herod's temple or the temple being rebuilt in Ezra and Nehemiah, of God's holiness, his presence ever coming into the second temple. As a matter of fact, when Jesus Christ comes the temple veil is torn in two. See, because the Ark of the Covenant, which is where God's glory rested down in the tabernacle and in the temple, isn't part of the picture anymore. They don't even know exactly what happened to the Ark of the Covenant or where its final resting place is. There's a lot of speculation. But the fact is, is that there was, this was all in preparation of, of God sending his prophets and eventually the one true final prophet of all, 
his son, Jesus Christ. But Jonah, if you remember, when God sent him on a particular mission to share with the people of Nineveh the glory and the salvation of God, it says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, chapter 1, verse 1, the son of uh, Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went on board to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. This is one of God's prophets. And because he did not like what God was doing in sending him to a Gentile nation to proclaim God's salvation to them, calling them to repentance and and faith, he decided that he was going to go the very farthest away he could, away from the presence of God. Self-deceived to think that he could get away from the God who is omnipresent. Because even in the belly of that fish, God was there. So may our response not be that of Jonah, where we are running away and fleeing away from the presence of God, which is an impossibility to begin with, just in case you're contemplating. But instead, Psalm 114, 7 and 8 says, Tremble, O earth, at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the God of Jacob, who turns the rock into a pool of water, the flint into a spring of water. This psalm being a a reference to what God would do through Moses when he struck the rock and gave water to the children of Israel. Remember, Moses did it the way God commanded him the first time. The second time, God told him to speak to the rock. But because of his frustration with the people, because they were grumbling and complaining, and pretty much had enough, and I think if I was in Moses' shoes, I probably would have done exactly the same thing, he struck the rock twice. Water still came out because God's people needed the water, but it caused Moses the ability to go into the promised land. He was not able to step foot. So, tremble all the earth. Not trembling out of fear because of who we are in Christ. Remember, we have access But trembling means that we acknowledge the holiness of God and do not forget who God is. Because the God of the Old Testament is still the God of the New Testament, who is still the God of the church age, who is the God of eternity, where we will spend all of eternity in his presence. So don't forget who God is. Remember that each and every day, Sunday through Saturday, is an opportunity to be in the presence of God because of Jesus Christ in you, because of the Spirit of God in you. Don't let God just be the God of Sunday. Instead, acknowledge him, be in all of him, step back and realize all that you have in Christ, fully experiencing the presence of Almighty God because you've been given permission and access to do so. You've been given an introduction by Jesus Christ, God's Son. Well, let's close in a word of prayer, and we're just going to close in a word of prayer because I preached too long. So let's bow. Father, Lord, we thank you for this morning. Uh, Lord, I know that sometimes it's hard to take in everything that pertains to who you are. But Lord, may uh, the goal of everything that we looked at today in the Old Testament as we saw how you 
showed your manifest presence to people calls us to stop and realize just how blessed we are in Christ. That we not, need not be in fear, that we need not tremble out of fear in your presence But we bow in, in honor, not turning our, our face to the side because we're ashamed. We bow because we see you as you are, the God who is almighty, holy, 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 King of kings, Lord of lords, the beginning and the end, the eternal God of all. Thank you, Father, for your Son, Jesus Christ, and for the indwelling Holy Spirit. We pray all these things in Jesus' name.